0: Hey, Golden Edge listeners, I want to take 30 seconds to introduce you to a new podcast from the Review Journal called Critical Condition, Accounts from 1 October. It's a five-part series sharing the powerful stories of two Las Vegas officers who responded to the scene of the 1 October shooting on the Las Vegas Strip. You can find it wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. Just search Critical Condition, Accounts from 1 October, or visit reviewjournal.com backslash podcast for more information. Now, on to Golden Edge.
1: Golden Edge, presented by STN Sports Mobile
0: from Station Casinos. What is up, hockey fans? Welcome back to the Review Journal's Golden Edge podcast. I am Ben Goats, one of your two RJ Golden Knights beat writers. Along here with Dave Shane, we are recording on a beautiful wednesday hump day morning after the golden knights lost 5-2 to the nashville predators last night dave how you doing tired <laughs> and i got a trip coming up too i oh, said so you actually have to go on the road it's like about to be like chillax time for me it's not it's like mid
1: october and i'm already ah
0: uh, what am i going to do in december man i'm Jeez. Well, I'm picking up some of those December trips for you, all so right, all right. you can look forward to that while I'm looking forward to this weekend, having some people come to town, probably get some margaritas by the pool. There you go. There yeah. you go. I'm excited to talk old nights, though. Right, needs I to say that. There
1: I right. am. Uh, so will I'm s- not the only one, at least. Okay.
0: You know, we got a lot going on. That's why we want you to check back to reviewjournal.com as often as you can for all our content. We got... Good features every day. We've got national stuff going on. I wrote about the Boston Bruins last week. I'm writing about the Nashville Predators this week. If you want to know how good center Matt Duchesne is at guitar, I got you. That's the kind of journalism you only get at the RJ. And before we get started, we want to remind you that Golden Edge Podcast is presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. We try to bring you this podcast every Wednesday, and it worked out well, Dave, that we're coming uh, to this one right after a pretty Pretty big game, I would say, between the Knights and the Predators. That's two of the better teams in the Western Conference, I think. And those two teams seem to have a lot of mutual respect for each other coming in. And I'm sure the Knights were a little uh, wowed by how good the Predators looked last night.
1: I would say I was surprised that the Knights didn't seem to be as up for that game as maybe the Predators were. And I think Jonathan March so maybe even said you know, afterward... You know, you can't always get for every game, and and yeah, it's true. But like you said, that was a an early test. That was a game against a team that you know maybe you see way down the line, but you want to kind of see how you stack up, you know, early on. And I think they threw some punches early, literally. Um, but I was impressed the way that the Predators responded more so than the Knights in that game, especially the second period. They forced a lot of those mistakes. Obviously, one of them was. You know, flurries is a little unforced, but, I, you know, a lot of that was the Predators. I I felt like the Knights kind of almost realized halfway through that game, whoa, we can't kind of go toe-to-toe with these guys. They're really skilled. We have to maybe play a different game. I I, I felt like they maybe got away from what would have been their best game plan in that game and and trying to, you know, slow it down a little bit and not try to, to go, go, go with the
0: Predators. And maybe that backfired a little bit on them. I don't know. Yeah, it was really interesting to see that play out. I mean, obviously, the Predators, two-time defending Central Division champions, went to the final three years ago. I mean, they're good up top, they're skilled, and then they're deep, too. We saw their third and their fourth line score yesterday against the Knights. So certainly no shame if the Knights are going to lose to a team, to losing to that team. But I think, yeah, the way they lost and the way they looked, especially early in periods, was concerning just the fact that it seemed like it took them five seven minutes to remember oh yeah we're playing a hockey game right now and the Predators took advantage basically each time to build leads or regain leads and that's kind of the recipe to how you end up losing a hockey game five two I think that's kind
1: of maybe what we've seen you know seven games in here is just a little bit of that inconsistency Uh, you know there's been a little bit of that Jekyll and Hyde with this team so far of you know we've seen some really good against the Sharks Um, I thought they were pretty good in the first period against Nashville, and then it just seemed like Nashville kind of, you know... I thought they just responded to that fight, to be quite honest.
0: Yeah, but I think you're touching on kind of the theme of the season so far, which is like, sweep the Sharks. High. Lose to the Bruins and the Coyotes. Low. Yeah, that Coyotes game was just a woof. That was a stinker. You know? Sweep a doubleheader against the Flames and the Kings, two division rivals. And look good doing it. Look good doing it. High. Drop
1: into the Predators low so right now that's the you know the inconsistency that's the the up and down that is a team you know you want to try to find a little more of that you know steady kind of you know uptick instead of I guess what you're describing
0: is it's almost like a like a heart monitor you know up down kind of all over the place yeah which uh, is not unexpected because as of course everyone listening knows they're missing Nate Schmidt again I just got injured in the first game last year without him. They were 8-11-1, and I think we're kind of seeing the same symptoms, as it were, of having him out. Alex Tuck, of course, hasn't played a game yet. I think they miss him in certain spots, especially on the power play on one of their units. And so I think that's what you kind of get when you're banged up like the Golden Knights are early in the season. But it is going to be something they're going to have to continue to fight through uh, before Tuck gets back, which... Could be potentially as soon as about a week from now, but we haven't really gotten an update yet, so we're not sure about that. But that is something I kind of want to touch on with you, Dave, like the highs and lows of the early season, and not just the games, but the kind of people that are causing it. So I just touched on it, but one of the lowlights, I think, for me for the night so far is Nate Schmidt is basically your Jenga piece. Again, when you take Nate Schmidt out of your blue line, the Golden Knights are good, but not great. Team, it seems like, and that was kind of true last year, and it seems to be true again this year. He brought that puck movement, that speed, you know, all the
1: elements that they kind of don't have right now. It's a missing piece, like you said. Really, other other than Shea Theodore, is kind of the one real other mobile, I guess, guy. Merrill Merrill's a pretty mobile guy, but doesn't doesn't really play that way. So so kind of as you're you're describing it in Jenga and, and you know almost a filter down. I'm going to bring something up because I brought this up with some other people. Is my issue right now is without Nate Schmidt, the ramifications are I don't think they have a pairing for Nick Hague. I don't think Derek England is a good pairing for him. And then what you could, you put him with Nick Holden. Like right now, there's nobody that you can put Nick Hague with. Nick Hague needs a mobile defenseman with him. That That's the natural, you know kind of dynamic, that that really mobile guy, stay-at-home guy. Nick Hague needs to be that stay-at-home guy. And right now, he's skating with Derek England, who is kind of that stay-at-home guy. Right. And you put Holden with him because he's the only other right-hand or right shot, or not, I'm sorry, not right shot, but right side defenseman. It, it, that's not a good pairing either. He Nick Hague was with Schmidt early on, and I don't know if that that's necessarily the answer, but he seems to need either Theodore or Schmidt kind of as his partner, Nick Hague, I mean.
0: Yeah, because his skating has been as the question mark for him the entire way through. And so putting him with your kind of oldest and slowest skater on the back end kind of besides him is just, it just doesn't seem to be working. It just seems they're losing quite a few puck battles behind the net, and then they can't cover for each other. And I'm sure part of that's, you know, communication breakdowns too, which happen with, kind of a younger guy, but it, it's just not clicking right now. One of the things Jar Galant was asked about, you know, kind of the last couple of days is about, you know, rookie
1: defensemen and, you know, why it's harder to play that. And it, I mean, that's something that we've heard for, you know, I remember for years and years and years. That that was always the position that when you drafted, you know, it took longer for them to develop. Goaltenders too in, in a lot of cases, but defensemen were always the ones that it, it just takes longer for them in a lot of cases to physically mature to, you know, just, have the experience reading the game, seeing plays, just, you know, knowing how to react right now, it, just for me, Nick Hague just feels a little bit hesitant. I, I don't feel like he's making decisions, you know, at, at the at the speed, I guess, with, with the quickness that he needs to do that. I've just seen too much hesitation with the puck or in coverage, kind of like what you're describing, you know, with England, we're, we're behind the net you know, there's just, they lose a puck battle or something like that. It's not, it, I don't, I kind of echo Jargland. I don't feel like he's played terribly, but I do feel like there's just been, you know, a little bit of those rookie kind of issues that that seem to have popped up. And I don't know necessarily that, you know, Nate Schmidt all of a sudden, you know, instantly solves that. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, Nick Hague's going to be a really good player. I, I've always championed that. i I'm always been a Nick Hague fan, on the ice and, and have stood behind him with the skating and all that sort of stuff. You know, right now, I just feel like he's he's a rookie, he's getting adapted. And, and I think some of those things are, are
0: showing up, you know, in games right now. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what they kind of do with that pairing. If anything, moving forward, they've got Jake Bischoff around. They still haven't played Jake Bischoff. He's now up to, I believe, like 19 healthy scratches without making his NHL debut, which, if you're the Bischoff family, how many plane tickets have you? Purchased and then unpurchased it's it's rough Uh, But another thing that's also rough for the Golden Knights right now I think is their puck management which just seems to come and go there's some nights like we talked about this early after they swept the Sharks like I thought the Golden Knights were super sharp in their decision-making They weren't making mistakes and they were feasting when the Sharks made mistakes And I thought that was key for them And when the Golden Knights are playing well I think that's one thing they do really well is they don't beat themselves and then against the Bruins, and you could argue against the Predators, they 100% beat themselves. Both the Bruins and the Predators are really good. I think they should probably both be top five teams in the NHL at the end of the year. But more than anything, that means you can't give them those opportunities. You can't just give them gifts like uh, Mark andre Fleury uh, wrapped up with the bow yesterday to Philip Forsberg as maybe a nod to like, hey, George McPhee may have traded you once upon a time. But you know, Here's a way for you to make him look silly. Uh,
1: One more time, yeah. One more time. (laughs) I think, you know, I go back to Nate Schmidt a little bit actually on this and and just some of the the issues in in breaking the puck out of the zone. You know, we've seen the games that they've been successful, they've been able to, you know, exploit teams with their speed. A lot of times that comes from the breakout, just being able to get out smoothly, you know, and then build up through the neutral zone and, and things like that. You know, I thought Predators did a pretty good job you Know taking that away, Boston obviously did a really good job of taking that away just because I think Boston's four check is so good, stupid, it's good. really good. And, and not to veer off too much jargon, I talked a, a little bit about this. they their their first line, Boston's first line gets so much pub, and, and yes, it's high end talent, but two, three, and four are not really like the most talented lines in the NHL, they just work harder or you know. Whatever they just outwork most teams. That's really what it comes down to. I thought in the Boston game, that's what happened. If for for times last night against the Predators, I thought that's what happened. They got outworked down low. Even the flurry goal t- to some extent is getting outworked. It's Philip Forsberg getting you know basically into that spot and then beating everyone to the net. Right, right. So uh, even even the little things like that, there's just there's there's elements of early season there you know you always think you're playing hard until you realize you're not and and you know sometimes there, there's a little bit of that you know the knights thought you know you're playing well okay we're at a level we need to be at no and then the predators come in and show you no there's another you know notch you got to go to okay that that happens early in the season you know you learn some lessons you feel like you know you're playing well you take some things uh, the things like the, what you're what we're talking about the turnovers for the most part are correctable you you would feel like okay these are nhl guys you know these are guys that are not going to continually you know make these types of mistakes so if you eliminate that you probably feel pretty good you know about where you're at if if you're the coaching staff
0: yeah one last question mark uh i think that has emerged from the knights early season here and then we'll get to some positives is the bottom six for the knights i think has just been an adventure through seven games 5 on 5 and what i mean by that is just like the rest of the team there have been highs and there have been lows I just sneezed right there for the listeners wondering uh, what that audio cap was. (laughs) A little little behind-the-scenes action there. Um, So yesterday, the fourth line gets scored on twice. uh, Two games before against the Calgary Flames. The fourth line was the offensive juggernaut that powered the Knights to a win. Both things can be true, but I think if you're the Knights, you kind of want a more steady approach to them. And then just that third line has kind of been... I don't know, out of sorts all year. It seems like. Bless you, Ben. Thank you, appreciate it.
1: I think uh, you you kind of hit on a, it. It goes back to the inconsistency in a lot of regard. You know that there were some points last night. You could maybe pick out Ryan Reeves on one of those goals and, and not co- kind of covering up the front of the net. Um, I know after that Arizona game, they were out early working on breakouts and Misha Donskoff and Ryan Craig were not really giving encouragement, let's just say. Um, there was a lot more yelling and, and instruction. Um, in hindsight, maybe that was not necessarily working on something as opposed to being told to get your rear ends out there and, and you know get better at this because they got hemmed in a lot against Arizona. You're going to get that a little bit with a fourth line though, right? I mean, that's what a fourth line is. You know, you're not always going to get, you know, the you know, a twelve great minutes from from a fourth line. That's why they're the fourth line. Most nights you're going to get, you know, you're going to get good. You're going to get somewhere in between, I guess, what you got last night and and what you got at Calgary. That's kind of what you're hoping for. You know, even it all out over the course of the season. You bring up a good point about the third line, though. I'll kind of throw it to you, just what your thoughts are there. Because I know I, I definitely got some opinions on as far as the third line goes. Yeah, I
0: just don't think they found the right mix all year. They started with Paul Stasny, Brandon Peary, and Valentin Zekoff. And even though you got Paul Stasny there like trying to kind of control things, I just don't think that was really doing much for you. And it was kind of putting one of your best players in a position where he's not going to contribute much. And so obviously they flipped that once Cody Eakin got healthy. And now it's Eakin... Glass and Zekoff. And you need Cody Glass in there still, I think, just because we'll touch on this in a little bit, but their power play has looked outstanding with him. And so you totally get why, okay, that guy's going to need to be in the lineup even though he's out of position at right wing five on five because he just adds so much to the man advantage. But yeah, five on five, I still think Cody Glass is figuring out what he needs to do at right wing. I mean, Cody Eakin between those guys is kind of Trying and he's gotten some decent shots off, but I don't think they've looked necessarily dangerous And Valentin Zikoff is an agitator at times. He's an agitator yesterday against the Predators But I don't think he's looked nearly as good as he did in the preseason when he was forechecking hard Trying to win puck battles and right now it just seems like he's losing or not engaging as much as he needs to so I would echo a lot of that without getting too much into
1: the negative because I feel like we've hit on that pretty good for the last, you know, handful of minutes, and this is a team that's four and three and, and not playing all that poorly, so I don't want to get too negative. Um, my I have some issues with, with the way Zikoff has, has played the, the last handful of games, and, and essentially the more and more I see him, the more and more I wonder just where, where he's going to score his goals from. Like if he's a guy that you're trying to get the puck to, he doesn't seem to get into positions where he can get shots off. He doesn't really get to the net hard and get garbage goals. I haven't seen him really get to the net and get deflections. Maybe somebody can show me like stats and things that he's getting a lot of tips, because I haven't seen it. At least that's what my eyes tell me. And then I know he had a pretty good shot from the slot last night on a rush, you know. I mean he's got a hard shot. Like when he gets at that snapshot, that forehand going, like it, it hums, but he just never gets into a spot where he can get it off. So he's not really obviously a sulky guy. I don't, so you know, if he's trouble in his own zone and you wonder about him moving his feet and, and back checking things like that, I'm not sure where he fits with, with all of this. I, the one thing I will say, so as I, Obviously bash him. Um, and I'll shift to some of the positives here. Yeah. Because as one or two people actually emailed me, hey, people are listening. Um, oh, I'll, nice. I'll, Thank you, guys. I'll take back a lot of what I said about Cody Glass. Cody Glass needs to be on this team. Like, I don't care if he's out of position because right now he gives you way more than what Zikoff's giving you, and he's not gripping his stick the way that Brandon Peary is. And Brandon Peary's skating is an extra with the fourth line you know, at practice right now, which tells me that he's nowhere near any, you know, jar glance plans. Like right now, Cody glass has to be on the team in this lineup. Even if he's just floating around on the third line, trying to figure out how to play wing, because he's the only
0: thing resembling a creative force on that line right now. And he's working hard. I think that's what you can give him credit for too. He's obviously not the biggest guy because he's 20 years old and still a rookie. But I mean, he's going to corners. He's going behind the net and trying to work to get something going for that line which I think you have to give him credit for. And yeah, we can transition into one of the big positives for the Golden Knights so far, which is their power play. I mean, he has just been such a weapon for them passing wise uh out there. We obviously saw it last night where he is basically at the goal line, receives a pass, gives a quick one right to Mark Stone, Stone one times at power play goal for the Knights. And that unit, which has so much kind of creative ability between him, Mark Stone, Paul Stasny, Max Pacioretty, Shea Theodore, just been deadly so far to start the season. I mean, the Knights are seven for 24 uh, right now through seven games on the power play. They were 25th in the league last year, but it looks like that kind of I'll just call it the first unit uh, right now with Glass and Stone and Pacioretty and Stasny looks that they're going to take that number a little bit higher this year. He's the—glass,
1: I mean, is the kind of one missing piece that they've been lacking on the power play for like two years. Like a creative playmaker, something that you can get the puck to and kind of run things through. Usually that's like a defenseman in a lot of ways, that quote-unquote quarterback of the power play, but in a lot of cases it's actually like a forward who kind of does it, and they've always lacked that. That first year March so was pretty good— and then their second unit, Howla, seemed to be really good in that same spot that Cody Glass is in right now. What Howla would actually do, though, Howla would kind of be down there and then kind of tuck and shoot. Um, tuck as in T-U-C-K, not, <laughs> not Alex. Um, he would try to tuck the puck in or, or he kind of, you know, kind of take one stride off and then be there for like a quick one-timer, things like that. What Cody Glass likes to do on that goal line, and, and so I'll actually talk about this too a little bit, um, is the shift and what they've done with him. He's actually a creator down there. He, he likes to open up and he can see the whole ice from down there. He's on his forehand, and he can basically quarterback. He's got all these options. He can do what he did last night, find Mark Stone. He can go back to the point. He can hard around. You know, all, everything's open for him in that spot. At the very start of the year, they had him in the middle in of the, of the three across. So that's called the bumper. That's the bumper spot. And the way it gets its name, and Patrice Bergeron kind of made this famous, is, you know, a lot of that time the puck will go into the middle and he can kind of bump it out to those options. Well, Cody Glass wasn't real good. You have to be basically Patrice Bergeron to be really right. good at that bumper spot. It's hard it, for a 20-year-old when everything's kind of converging on you, you know, in the middle of the ice and, and it's happening fast and you're not used to knowing where your options are. It, he struggled with a little bit and they put him on the half wall. They put him down on that goal line kind of net front spot. It's way better for him because he's a creator. And and we saw that last night. Um, I'll even go back to, to the, just in terms of structure, the Los Angeles game, they scored a very similar goal and it was Jonathan Marchessault that was on the goal line in the exact same spot, he hit Pacioretty for almost an identical goal where Pacioretty was in that bumper role, kind of in the in the middle of the ice, boom, one-timer. So we've kind of seen structurally, you know, that's an option for them. That That's where they're trying to go with the puck. That's where they're trying to score goals. I think Cody Glass's presence, especially on that first unit, opens up everything that they... I mean, they've been waiting for this for like two years, basically.
0: Yeah, no, their power play has been outstanding through seven games. Their penalty kill has two. Their penalty kill is 26 for 28. It was number one in the NHL entering last night's game, and then they gave up one power play goal, and I believe five tries to the Nashville Predators, so not a horrible night, but obviously for the early standards that they've set for themselves, not their best night, but that's been key, too, is you know they haven't let some of these penalties, and they've probably taken too many penalties through seven games, uh, get them down on the scoreboard, and Riley Smith mentioned that last night of, like, we would like to take only, you know, maximum like three penalties per game just because that keeps our penalty killers fresh. They haven't lived up to that right now, but their penalty kill has been good enough where they haven't been hurt by probably taking too many penalties in the early going. And I would say that was a question mark kind of
1: coming into the season. How are they going to penalty kill without Belmare, without Ryan Carpenter? You know, you have to kind of figure out some new guys. And and we've seen Six step up. We've, we, we've talked about how dangerous... Riley Smith and William Carlson are in a penalty kill. I thought there was even one or two plays last night where I don't want to say they were cheating it, but you could see guys were, were almost trying to create a chance instead of just ice the puck. And it almost cost them. It it created a turnover at least once that, that I can remember, but it's because they're so dangerous because everybody knows, Hey, this is a threat. This is part of our game. This is something that the Knights present you know, is on the penalty kill, especially when those two are out there, you better watch out. Right, because they can create they, a rush. Yeah, they're going to create a shorthanded chance on you if you don't watch out. So, you know, kudos to them for for at least early on in the season, you know, finding guys to step up into those roles, take over for guys like Belmare and Carpenter, you
0: know, that were key penalty killers that, that obviously left in free agency. Yeah, I mean, and obviously the big uh, change there to their penalty kill units, and this kind of started at the end of last year, is uh, Mark Stone because Mark Stone obviously wasn't with the team for um, most of last season, but now he is with the team, and he's one of their top penalty killers so far this season. His time on ice is actually uh, second among forwards uh, next to Cody Eakin. They're playing him a lot. They're playing him a lot in all situations. I mean, he's another huge early positive that we'll get to in a second, but you mentioned Carlson and Riley Smith, and another thing we need to dive into is it just feels like that first line has its mojo back to use an Austin Powers term. They have said that they're playing faster. It certainly appears that way on the ice. Carlson's got seven assists through seven games. He is on pace for the fantastic stat line of zero goals and 82 assists this season. Riley Smith is tied for the team lead with five goals. He's also got an assist. And Marshall Salt has uh, four points, I believe, through seven games. I mean, they just look like kind of a dangerous line that is gonna give opponents fits like they did in year one, Dave. And they're also playing against a lot of opposing top lines and holding their own again, too. I mean, I would say they've
1: definitely given the Knights a formidable top six, which is what's, what we expected kind of coming into the season. You know, you, you break down everything and you, you know, put teams on the board and, and look at, you know, top six versus top six. I thought we saw a really good top six last night for Nashville. But, you know, the Knights are supposed to stack up, and and anytime, you know, Carlson is scored, you know, none of these guys are, like, in slumps. You know, everybody's kind of come out of the gate clicking, which is what you want. But you don't want anybody kind of wondering anything. I guess we're going to wonder if Carlson's ever going to score. How, like, how, how great would, like, a zero goal, 82... 82- like I wonder what you would. I, he's obviously got no contract to worry about or whatever. But can you imagine like going into a a, a salary arbitration or something like that? Like how do you how do you argue that? Like no a big to, challenge for his agent. His agent would earn that commission. <laughs> but but yeah. But clearly, I think the biggest thing like you've touched on is when they've gone when they've been playing well when they've gone good. It's the speed that that speed that we saw the first year. We've seen it, uh, you know, more
0: this year than we did last year, at least early on. Yeah, and I don't, just don't mean speed and transition, like going from blue line to blue line. I mean, even in the offensive zone, like they're forechecking fast, they're circling super right. fast, and I think it's hard for opposing teams to kind of catch up with them because it seems like they're kind of going, like I said, at warp speed. You know, even not just straight line, even when they're kind of curving. We've kind of heard this. I mean, they're in a
1: lot of ways the the modern game. That's what, that's what it is. They're more of that finesse. They don't have that real physical, you know, traditional kind of banger, I guess, with, with two scoring type guys. You know, Riley Smith is kind of that F1, that four checker. But he does it in a little more of a finesse way, you know. He's not going to come in like Will Carrier and, you know, finish a check and put you through, through the glass. Riley Smith kind of does it with a really good stick and, and kind of creativity and, you know, kick some pucks along the wall, pin it in there. You know, do some little tricky little things. You know, you see back in like nineteen ninety six and stuff. Um, it's different. It's not that kind of physical thing. They do it with speed. And when they're going, when they're going, you know, when they're going well, it's because they're playing fast. And like you said, they're they're. It's not just the the actual woo. They're, they're skating. You know, twenty eight miles an hour or whatever it might be. You know, it's they're thinking fast. They're reacting. They're creating plays quickly. You know, the passes are coming off their sticks because they're seeing the options right away. It's kind of the sign of, you know, when when a guy's playing well, all those sorts of things. Um, I'll actually flip this a little bit in transition. It's when a goalie is playing well. well. Look at you. Yeah, segue. Um, is, is they're reading that, that play. You can just see how locked in they are.
0: SDN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new signup bonus of up to $50. I'm
1: sorry, Marc Andre Fleury gave up five goals last night, and yes, he gave away the, you know, the fourth goal. But he, if you go back and look, he made some phenomenal saves. He was actually like I thought, yeah. he really good last and, night. And, and they were. He was sliding across the crease because he was reading the play. He saw it basically developing as it as it happened, and, and was ahead of it. When that type of stuff is happening with forwards with that first line that with like we've seen, when that type of stuff is happening with a goalie, that's when you know. He, you know They're enjoying their hockey. They're they're playing well.
0: Yeah, Fleury just looks dialed in right now. He's got a 9.22 save percentage to start the year. Um, and Paul Stasny gave me a great quote after the Kings game in L.A. where he just said, I've played with some goalies that are really athletic but aren't that smart. And I've played with some goalies that are really smart but just don't have the athleticism to make some of the plays that their brain is making or is telling them to do. And he's flower for a reason he can do both and you just see that with Marc andre Fleury, where some of these chances that are either on the rush or on the power play where he reads where the puck is going then it's going to go side to side and he has the lateral agility to get himself over to the other side of the crease to then make that save and we've seen that multiple times here in the last couple games where he made two really great first period saves against the kings He made a number of really good saves. There's especially one on Forsberg where he split across the crease that I'm thinking of last night against the Predators. He's played in all seven of their games so far. And so, obviously, workload questions are going to come up relatively quickly here if Malcolm Subban's injury kind of lingers. But right now, I get it from the Knights perspective of like, hey, we don't have another great option. And he's just giving us, I mean, phenomenal. Play each night right now. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's locked in. He's playing well. You got to keep putting him out there, which I'm sure
1: they didn't necessarily want to do. I'm sure they had games penciled in. You you look at, you know, obviously they wanted Subban to ride that Arizona game. I would imagine they would probably look at that Chicago game coming up, which is the second game of a back to back also on the road. Like that was probably earmarked for Subban, which now you think, you know, I, I don't know if they give it to Dansk. You know, at the, at the rate this thing's going, you probably just have to give it to Flurry, and hope you can, you know, get Subban back and kind of maybe make up for for some of the workload here coming up. Um, I, I haven't looked the schedule too far into November, but I know there's some breaks at the end of October where it, where it kind of thins out a little bit. Uh, maybe they can, you know, give him some rest. Obviously, Glant kind of had his little speech about you know he thought practices were harder than games, which. I don't necessarily agree with. I think he was kind of standing up for for his guy and, you know, defending the workload a, a little bit with, with Fleury. Um, but we'll see. I mean, right now he seems fresh. You know, obviously they gave him, you know, the day off from practice. Uh, or they ha- I mean, they all had the day off from practice on Monday before the Nashville game. So even coming off the back-to-back, like, it wasn't like he practiced. You kind of figure he's still, you know, pretty fresh. I mean, I, and the other thing is, I know he wants to play. Right. He said when he's locked in, when he's seeing the puck well and he's playing well, you just kind of want to keep playing. Don't get out of rhythm. So maybe that's a little of it too, you know, early on that they're just going to, you know, ride him till he says, you know, hey, okay,
0: I'm fried. I need a little break. Right. And that back to back that he played against the Flames and the Kings was honestly not that hard of a back to back. You play Saturday night in your home rink. You hop on a really short flight right afterward and then you have all day to kind of relax. Cause that's another night game against the Kings. So that's an easy one. The one with Chicago, a little tougher, more travel involved. So we'll see what ends up happening there. But overall, Mark Andre Flory, real positive for the Knights again. And another huge, huge positive for them, of course, have been Mark stone. Who we're going to talk about because of course the Knights' next game is against his former team, the Ottawa senators on Thursday I mean, Stone has started with 10 points in seven games. He's obviously a really good two-way forward. He was a Selkie finalist last year, but now, I mean, he's taken his offense, at least in the early goings, it seems, to kind of another level. As you pointed out to me recently, Dave, he's shooting more. Um, This year so far, he's taking three shots a game, which is well above his career average. And... I mean, Jarrelant called him a star yesterday, and the way they're using him, and the way he's playing, he's kind of living up to that moniker right now. And he's got a heck of a right hand, yeah. Oh my god, that was incredible. Yeah, especially after we were bashing him uh, with our buddy
1: Adam Hill uh, for his first fight in the in a Knights uniform, didn't go so well last night. He, uh,
0: which I should point out, uh, Mark Stone before coming to the Vegas Golden Knights, one fight in six NHL seasons. Great. Since joining the Vegas Golden Knights, which is like 30 regular season games at this point, two fights. Some people just can't handle Vegas. And he wrecked Roman Yossi. Oh, he destroyed him. Yeah, that was a good shot.
1: So, all right, I'm going to say this because I'm the guy that has always been with college football. If you bring up the Heisman with me before even November, I'm like, no, shut it down. So I'm not going to start talking about Mark Stone as the MVP and the heart. And and all of that quite yet. Yeah, like we're seven games in here, but at some point, if it continues this way, he's going to get consideration. You have to start talking about him in that in that regard. Like he and Flower. Like right now, if you're going to vote for the All Star Game, those are the two that are
0: going to represent you. I say that's the biggest thing because he hasn't even been right. in the All Star Game right. yet. So take care of the All Star first, and then we can figure out the rest of the stuff. So if you're going to go back and, and like mean
1: tweet Dave Dave here and and listen to our podcast. I think at one point I kind of questioned whether Mark Stone was not, not, I didn't question whether he was good or a great player. I questioned whether he was going to be like a 90 point type guy for 9.5 million. And right now he's a 90 point guy for, for 9.5 million. He, they are getting every cent worth from him because you're obviously still getting the defense. You talked about it with the penalty killing which which shows up to and all and all that sort of stuff. I mean, he's carrying them right now. If everything that everybody said he, that he could be for this team, the face of the franchise, the guy that's going to lead them, you know, the guy that's the missing piece, the 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 one offensive guy that that is
0: elite, he's living up to that right now. I mean, I think the biggest thing is just we've talked about inconsistency with this team as a negative. He's been remarkably consistent so far this year. He's been held without a point in one game, and that's it. Other than that, he's finding a way to contribute basically every night, whether it's you know with, we've talked about his power play goals. He's passed really well. I mean, in the uh, first game against the San Jose Sharks, he had a great keep-in that set up Cody Glass's first NHL goal. His stick, uh, which everyone compliments around the league. I mean, Matt Duchesne, uh, when I talked to him at Predators practice, went, On and on about Stone who was his teammate in Ottawa how good he is at creating takeaways and how difficult it is to kind of play against him. I mean Stone is fifth in the league in takeaways right now. I think tied for fifth. That's kind of a stat that he's owned in the NHL over the last couple years. So this offensive kind of uh, peak he is at right now is not coming at the expense of defense. And so when you have a guy like that who provides a level of defense that most forwards who are putting up kind of gaudy offensive stats can't get to and he's still putting up really good offensive stats I mean that's what really I think open your eyes to okay he's no longer just this uh, underrated player as a Bruins coach Bruce Cassidy actually called him earlier this season he might just end up being rated as you know one of the top 50 players in the league because he was left off that list uh, coming into the year by NHL Network. It's kind of crazy that he's never made an All-Star game. Never made an All-Star game. I
1: mean, I guess if you're in Ottawa, you're probably overshadowed in a lottery guard by Carlson when he was up there. Yep.
0: You, you know, I mean... It was a bit I like that Ottawa team. I mean, we, it's easy to forget now, but it was loaded not that long ago. Yeah. We're, they were in the Eastern Conference final, what, lost 2007? game seven in overtime to yeah. the Penguins as the Penguins are going for back-to-back. So,
1: I, yeah, it's crazy, though. He's never been an all-star. I mean, I think that's going to be – this has got to be his first – if he's healthy, I guess, and, you know, knock on wood, like he's going to make an all-star game, yeah? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's just almost like the market. The marketing side of all of this right now has got to kind of take over, too. Like at some point, he's he's the guy people are rallying around in, in a lot of regard. We saw it in the playoffs. That fist pump after the goals that, you know, that became – I don't want to say famous, but that that became what everybody kind of knew, you know knew him for. That became the sort of the rallying cry, I guess. I guess you could say we're starting to see you know the fans starting to react to him a little. You know, not differently, but people are people are realizing this is the guy that's here for eight years. You know, if if they're going to put a C
0: on somebody's chest, he might be the guy eventually. And know? so it's it's so interesting because you talk to him in the locker room and I'm sure fans have seen interviews with him and he's not like that high energy of a guy off the ice. He's pretty understated. He doesn't, you know, like to go on and on about things. But even when you just talk to him for a little bit about hockey, I mean, he is just a competitor. Yeah. Everything with him is just like, you can tell like he's got this fire inside of him that, I mean, he just wants to win all the time, at everything, and then that just explodes when he gets on the ice, as obviously Roman Yossi learned last night. We've talked about this last
1: year early on, I think, and in, in maybe whether somebody like James Neal was missing from the Golden Knights locker room. I think there's some similarities maybe in the competitiveness of James Neal's personality and Mark Stone's personality. And I think Mark Stone, you drop that into that locker room, I think that might have been an element that, that may have been missing.
0: Basically, th- the guy that says, we're not, you know, bleeping losing and yeah. we're not bleeping playing like this. We're yeah. going to be better. Let's go.
1: And if and if he's got to go out there and score a goal or punch somebody in the face to get everybody going, you know, Mark Stone seems like right now the guy that's going to do it. And if you know, everybody's going to hitch their wagon to him, he's the one that's carrying them right now. It's, it's working. And you know, I, I, they're getting a lot of production. It's it's helped Max Pacioretty. I mean, you look at his stats. He's off to a really good start. That depth has helped the first line like we talked about. If they can get their bottom six fixed <laughs> and get some consistency out of that, you know, you feel like they've they've got, you know, probably a long, a long unbeaten streak or something like that ahead of them.
0: Yeah, well, that's they went on a long unbeaten streak once they got Mark Stone. We'll see what they can do now that they've got him here and locked up and in his first full season. Well, we will keep you posting on all of that here at the Golden Edge Podcast. Remember to check back to reviewjournal.com for all of Dave and I's lovely coverage. Also, remember that the Golden Edge Podcast is presented by SDN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. We come to you guys every week. We try to come to you every Wednesday. By then, we'll see how burnt out Dave is from his road trip while I will be just... So relaxed and ready to go. I'm gonna get recharged on uh, cheese steaks and Chicago dogs. I'm all set.
1: Oh, okay, see, so that's good. You know, I get simple. Maybe Permani Brothers in Pittsburgh. i will be ready. I'm all right here.
0: All right. Well, we will have second your wind, East Coast slash Midwest foodie update when we come back for the Golden Edge podcast uh, next week. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Remember to download, like, subscribe, rate us. Whatever you do with podcasts, we super appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again real soon. No